You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira today. And I am not dressed as I normally would be to, you know, even to do a radio show. I usually have on a nicer t-shirt. I've usually been shaved that day or something. But we kind of got surprised by our houses on the market and our realtor texted us and said, somebody wants to see your house today at three. <laughs> Mad scramble, clean house, you know, vacuum, all that good stuff. Then I've got to take the dogs in the car and get them away from the property while the people, the, the other realtor and the people come to tour the house. Um, and I, you know, they left not too long before the Bozno show started. So, this is what you get today. <laughs> um, so, and the people who seemed interested, who knows? But uh, yeah, it's, it's part of you know, my whole long-term retirement plan as we're trying to move back closer to family on the East Coast. One of the things that has to happen is we have to sell the house on the West Coast. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I tell you, having a house on the market adds a whole nother level of work to your life. Uh, constant cleaning, constant yard work, constant surprise cleaning and yard work. <laughs> uh, pulling, you know, grabbing three dogs and getting them in a the car, finding a shady place to park with them. You know, oh gosh, yeah. Uh, enough of that. There is so much to talk about today, and I, I want to get to a lot of it because next week on the Bose Nose Show, we are going to have a special guest. Um, very fortunate to uh, have Dr. Patrick Moore that I'll be doing a face-to-face live interview with next week because he's coming into town for an event the day after the Bose Nose Show, Thursday on the September 22nd from 6 30 to 8.30 at the Springfield High School Auditorium, he's going to be available. Now, you're saying, who the heck is Dr. Patrick Moore? He is the co-founder of Greenpeace. So, you know, Greenpeace, think, you know, the, the boats getting in the way of the whalers and all that stuff and everything else they've been involved in. Well, he's watched the environmental movement move from true environmentalism to activism. And uh, he doesn't quite go along with everybody in the uh, climate crowd. Um, He considers himself a sensible environmentalist, which I consider myself that too. I I mean, I came of age 
you know, with Earth Day and events and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, my engineering career has been about clean water and, you know, safe drinking water and protecting drinking water sources, um, protecting, you know, stormwater, you know, treating stormwater runoff. Everything I've done has been, you know, part of that, you know, sensible environmentalist. <laughs> so I am looking forward to interviewing him next week um, on the Bose Nose Show prior to his event out at Springfield High School, which is a free event, um, you know, and doors will open at 6 p.m., and then he, he'll be on stage at 6.30, and he will answer questions from the audience. So it's going to be an interactive um, event. I think it will probably start out with a, a some kind of talk and presentation, and then he'll open up questions for the audience. Um, so, you know, whichever side of the climate debate you're on, this is your chance to talk to somebody that maybe isn't, you know, got some pretty good scientific background and, and um, maybe isn't completely, um, a, he's not a, a denier, I don't think, and I don't think he's one of these people that wants to control your lives, on, you know, with using the climate stuff as an excuse. So um, should be really interesting. And I'll, I'm looking forward to talking to him next week in advance of that. Uh, of course, I'll only have him for the time on the Bose No Show, but again, it's a call-in show, so you can even call in and ask him questions then, which reminds me, even though I've got fire stuff to talk about, MX, um, you know, roundabouts, and, and you name it on the Bose No Show today, baseball stadiums and tax increases, we are a call-in show, so anytime you want change the topic, ask a question about what I'm talking about, or, or, you know, take me off on a tangent, whatever it is, 646-721-9887 is the number to call. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 because that puts your little hand up on our board and allows Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, to Jump in and, and make sure you get in, and, and she alerts me, and we get you on the air. Because um, sometimes I'm not quite watching the board. I'm pulling up other reference stuff on my computer. Um, so, and we have people that call in just to listen. So that pressing one is really kind of important if you want to talk and get in on the Bose Nose Show. But we got a lot to talk about, and I put up a post this weekend on on Facebook that got a lot of play. You know, been shared multiple times and, and tons of comments, et cetera, and likes. I'm angry. And, and I don't know why anyone in Lane County, Deschutes County, anywhere around the Cedar Creek fire shouldn't be absolutely furious with the U.S. Forest Service. I asked, I sent Robin a photo, and I think she's going to bring it up on the screen. And I've and somebody commenting on my Facebook page uh, put this photo in their comments. The Cedar Creek fire started on August 1st after a lightning event. You know, lightning storms moved through the area. It was a single tree fire in one tree. 
And this photograph, and I think Robin put it up over my shoulder here on the screen, um, shows that one tree smoking after August 1st. The Forest Service could have easily called in aerial attack, single-engine air tankers, helicopter drops, whatever, and just smothered the thing with a strong, aggressive initial attack from the air, regardless of how steep the terrain is and whether it might have been unsafe to get firefighters directly to, to do a direct attack, and the fact that it is in a wilderness where they've removed roadways. Um, mind you, it's, it's barely over the wilderness boundaries. And this is not a big wilderness. The Waldo Lake wilderness basically kind of surrounds Waldo Lake. But then again, it's the Waldo Lake wilderness because Waldo Lake's in the middle of it. And it's a great source to dip helicopters or those, you know, single engine air tankers and, and, and load up with water and dump away. They could have had this fire out in the first day with aerial attack or at least doused the full, you know, 100 yards around the whole thing so heavily it would never have spread. You know, just dump, 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 dump. Would have been easy. But no, that's not the Forest Service. Because it was, quote, in a wilderness, they don't use mechanical means to fight fire. They want to do it all by hand, and they want everybody to hike in to do it. Can't cut a road with a caterpillar. So they basically stepped back and watched this fire smolder and spread to the next tree and the next tree and become a couple acres, become 10 acres. Eventually, by prior to this weekend, it was around 30,000 acres. Because they let that one tree smolder and spread for five weeks. Then comes a predicted east wind event and low humidities, high temperatures. And the thing explodes and doubles in size and threatens Oak Ridge. Because if you looked on a map of where that initial tree was burning, it was close to the edge of the wilderness and very close to Oak Ridge and Westford. And of course, there's some surrounding areas outside of the, the city limits that are developed with some ranches and housing in the High Prairie Road area. The last place to go to drop down out of it at uh, level three in Lane County. All those people that got evacuated this weekend and thought they might lose their homes. All the people that have been suffering from the smoke from that fire for weeks. Air quality in Oak Ridge has been horrible. People need to call the U.S. Forest Service, find a number, and just inundate them. Call Ron Wyden, Jeff Merkley, Peter DeFazio, and say something has to change with the Forest Service. There is no excuse for what happened this past weekend. One tree. 
five weeks later, how much did that cost the evacuations? All the food that got dumped because of power outages. And we'll get to that some too, because you know there, there are choices power companies could make that could still protect against wildfire, but not turn your power off up front. E-Web and Lane Electric went straight to the preemptive power cutoffs. Why? Because their experience is they're getting sued because FEMA requires that. And we talked about that last week. That's a whole different story. Once again, a federal government issue is causing people to lose freezers full of food and, you know, endanger people that are dependent on electronic equipment for medical support in their homes. Just this whole weekend is just drives me crazy. Never should have happened. Now, the East Wind event might have caused some of the power companies still to do some of the power shutoffs or at least done like EPUD and, and turned off their reclosures so the possibility of a power outage was higher. Um, it, it's still, we wouldn't have had the smoke. I wouldn't be cleaning up ash. You know, I mean, part of what I was doing before I, that people came to see the house was getting all the ash cleaned up on the patio and, and around my front door step and, and, and on window ledges and stuff like that. that we saw here compared to being evacuated and then coming home to spoiled food and and everything else. (sighs) So Robin says my video is freezing now. Oh, is is the audio going, Robin? Are we good with audio? Uh, you basically are stopped in time. Uh, audio and video. Well, it, who knows? That might be a result of the fires. <laughs> okay, I'll blame them. Um, yeah, I'm going to blame them because uh, I've got a fiber optic connection to the Internet here. And uh, usually it's pretty dang strong. Um, so not sure why I'm freezing up. On my end, I can't see that. So I apologize for audience that bows no show for me freezing up. But, you know, the, the other part about this is letting this tree burn and becoming the fire it became that really makes me angry is I was on the Lane Regional Air Protection Board for, for the years where we finally got Oak Ridge into compliance with PM25 rules. And PM25 is particulate matter less than 2.5 microns in size. It's smoke particles that stay suspended in the air that are small enough to get way deep in your lung cap, you know, the in your lung 
capillaries, uh, your airways. And because it is a smoke particle, quite often it's partially combusted products, which can contain something called polyaromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs, PAHs. And polyaromatic hydrocarbons are more often than not carcinogenic, and it goes very deep in your lungs. It's not good to breathe wood smoke directly if you can avoid it. So Oak Ridge is in a weird little valley, so it gets these these dead days in the wintertime when the wind doesn't blow, and it gets inversions and was having a real problem with, you know, being a poor timber community, a lot of the houses were built to be heated with wood. And people, once the timber industry left Oak Ridge and the Spotted Owl, didn't really, couldn't really afford to replace those wood stoves very well. So there was a lot of money spent uh, subsidizing wood stove replacements or conversions to electric heat, um, you name it. And even in providing um, a, a system to trade green wood for cured wood so people would at least burn more efficient. Um, and, you know, having red, yellow, green burn days there and, and enforcement. And it took years to get Oak Ridge into compliance. And then the EPA actually lowered the levels of allowable PM25 because they realized how dangerous it is. is. And Oak Ridge was bumping those, and we still managed to get them down below the the, the the new standard, the new tougher standards. Years of doing that. How badly do you think we've been violating the PM25 standard in Oak Ridge for the last five weeks? All that effort. U.S. Forest Service, EPA mandated effort, a federal government mandate, and federal money and grants were used to try and get that compliance, and you couldn't put out one tree, and now you've basically blown them completely out of compliance because the compliance is so many days over a certain limit. Now, mind you, the Oak Ridge will probably write EPA and request a variance for this event, like they've had to do for other wildfire events, but this was totally unnecessary. Uh, so that just it it just gets me completely unnecessary wildfire ha- and, and seventy some thousand acres have been burned now. How many houses could have been built from that timber? Speaking of that, I'm going to jump to one of my other subjects a little bit here because it kind of sort of ties together and and I'll Put a bow on it here in a minute. Once again, the federal government, in quote, ARPA and the inflation reduction stuff, somebody decided that mass timber is a great thing and, and the climate folks are latching onto it as a much more carbon-friendly way of building buildings. Uh, no joke, steel and concrete take a lot of carbon footprint to produce, much less than mass timber does, and mass timber actually sequesters carbon in the product. 
and converts, you know, brings, you know, when you're growing the trees for the mass timber, it takes CO2 out of the air, thus sequestering it. So it's a great thing. Suddenly it's it's the bell of the ball, and we got this huge, you know, grant coming into Oregon to and and OSU announced today they're putting together an acoustics lab to test the acoustics of mass timber buildings so they can develop building codes for them. And uh, it just yeah, everybody loves mass timber. Meanwhile, the same folks that are loving mass timber for climate stuff are proposing restrictions on forestry and harvest of timber that are drying up the supply and their past restrictions that they supported are drying up supply and they're creating the environment for more frequent larger massive wildfires by preventing the harvest and removing roads that they want to have removed and everything else so you end up things where one tree becomes 70,000 plus acres burned There is a crisis coming in wood supply for building in this country. And part of that crisis is driven by, you know, goes back to, it starts with a spotted owl and, and the Endangered Species Act and how that impacted the timber industry. But, it, you know, the continually, you know, locking up land and, and wilderness declarations and expansions of wilderness But this fire issue where the Forest Service has let land that had traditionally been timber production land, so it was planted, you know, and, and more dense and not and, and not in a natural way, allowing to go to older growth forest in this in this kind of mandate to go to old growth, what they call old growth, 80 years. It's not old growth in my mind. Um, and the problem is is it's got this understory that has never been managed and, and the trees are too close together. So when it does burn, it burns differently at, at a far more intense rate. And then they won't salvage log. And we have a recent paper by an OSU professor, a study that was done that basically says not salvage logging is not environmentally friendly. It's actually better to go ahead and get in after fire and salvage log. So that all said, we've got land we're locking up, fires that are going out of control, and then we have, you know, fires that are jumping from U.S. Forest Service land. And, and two years ago on Labor Day is a perfect example. The Beachy Creek and Lion's Head fires were both small fires that the Forest Service let smolder for weeks and, and over a month in one case before that Labor Day East Wind event blew them down the Santiam Canyon and destroyed, you know, thousands of acres of private timberland. A lot of private timberland was destroyed in the Holiday Farm fire. And these fires, once they destroy private timberland, that timberland does not produce any logs for 40 years. So you've taken all those acres out of production for the next 40 years. Meanwhile, you're, you're locking up federal land 
were way underproducing from the Oregon and California railroad lands, were not salvage harvesting from the fires on the public lands, were not even replanting a lot of the public lands. They're trying to let them come come back naturally, which is not going to happen for a long time. Um, so it, it's just there's so much going on there. And then you have Ron Wyden proposing his um, rivers bill that's going to basically lock up a whole bunch more land, take another 20% of productive timber land out of, you know, production. It's it just on and on and on and on. And right now there's a lot of logs on the log decks in the mills and all that stuff. A lot of that was salvage logs that came out of the forest post the, the Labor Day fires of two years ago. That's done now. If it ain't out of the forest now, it's rotting and is not salvageable. Really, you have about a year to get them out. So we're approaching this this tipping point, while at the same time, they think mass timber, which is currently not a big user of, of, of wood coming out of the forest, to ramp up and be the, the, the savior in the building industry for multifamily and, and high-rise buildings in, in, in towns instead of steel and concrete. Where's the wood coming from, folks? To look at federal forest policy. It has to change. We've got to get the ONC lands back producing again. Once again, lands that were planted for harvest and have a single designation, unlike the U.S. Forest Service lands that have multi-use. But I can't, you know, after something's burned, how good is it as a recreational area or habitat? How much habitat gets destroyed in a fire? How many animals die in that fire? Manage it or lose it. Initial attack. What the Forest Service has done with this delayed watch them grow thing, which I think is mostly about making sure they get the same amount of money next year for firefighting that they got last year. You know, if you let the fire get to 30,000 and then suddenly it blows up to 70 and it have to have a big effort to fight it, it takes a lot of people and dollars to fight a 70,000 acre fire instead of a one tree fire. And when you, if you run, you know, and in the federal government's wisdom, if you don't run through your whole budget, you might not get it back the next year. So they, they, I think they almost have this plan to use all their firefighting budget every year to make sure that they get allocated their firefighting budget the following year. That has to change. Huh. But. Because they're doing that, they're actually managing U.S. Forest Service lands with fire. Now, mind you, the Native Americans managed a lot of our lands with fire, but they did it often enough that there was a different environment. The Forest Service is suddenly trying to go back to using fire, and that you know, that's one of the reasons why they don't, quote, fight natural fires in wilderness areas. Um, without thinking about how close the fire is to the edge of the wilderness or what time of year it started or what the, you know, that particular summer's weather has been. Um, 
they they are basically doing something. And the thing is, is if they are going to use fire for management, they need to say so and actually go through the process of getting that kind of management plan approved. You know, one of the things about the federal government is if you're going to do something, you're supposed to go through this thing called the National Environmental Protection Act process, NEPA, and you're supposed to develop what's called a resource management plan, RMP. And if you're using fire to manage a resource, which I don't think they should be doing, because it seems like they've got a history of letting them get out of control and threatening towns. I mean, they were doing controlled burns in New Mexico and burned a couple towns up. They got out of hand. The Forest Service's, you know, <laughs> record with controlled fire is not very good, and using natural fire as controlled fire is not, you know, they haven't, they don't have an approved plan to do so, but they're doing it de facto. Meanwhile, you know, all that merchantable, harvestable timber goes away for at least 40 years, and uh, yet. You know, wood is the answer when it comes to building materials. If you want to be climate friendly, wood is good. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> needless to say, I'm a little fired up after this last weekend. And, I, and everybody over there in Bend right now that's suffering the air quality because the wind changed, and now it's Bend that's getting the, the smoke, and Redmond, <clears throat> and, and, you know, Sun River, you guys should be calling the Forest Service. Ron Wyden's phone should be ringing off the hook. <sighs> well, I got to change subjects for a minute. But I'll remind folks that we are a call-in show. 646-721-9887 is the number to call. And we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. I take calls in the middle of, of tirades and stuff like that because it's always more important for me to talk to you. Again, 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show. So I want to just note a couple things and, and, and talk about a few things that are local news Um Although the fires are very local, but but actually a national issue um, that the whole country should be worried about because the Pacific Northwest supplies most of the lumber across the U.S. It's where we grow it best. And the dug fir that grows in the western slope forest and, and the coast range here in um, Oregon and Washington is by far the best tree for structural lumber because it's got the highest modulus of elasticity, which is a engineering term basically for saying stuff stronger than the other stuff. A two by four from Doug Fur will bear more weight and and than a two by four of southern yellow pine by a long shot. So yeah, this is where we should be getting the wood. It's a green industry. We ought to be promoting it. We ought to be doing it well without fires. 
But in something a little bit more local, I just you know want to make a quick note that we got the next release of election results from the recall election in the city of Eugene for Ward 7 Councilor Claire Surrett, who is being recalled over her vote to approve the moving ahead um, program, which includes an effort to put MX bus lines on the River Road corridor at the cost of automobile capacity on the River Road corridor. And people, when they figured that out finally, that that's what that meant, they got pretty angry. And they started this recall effort. And it seems like the next set of results basically put her even further into the red. The recall is now winning by over 700 votes, um, basically a 20% margin, 60-40, which is a, considered a landslide in, election, in electoral wonkish talk. Um, so that, and I talked about this last week, it's rare to recall somebody, a successful recall that doesn't involve corruption, malfeasance, or something criminal. You know, policy is rarely a successful reason for a recall. The fact that this recall is, being, is, is continuing to be so successful says people are really not happy about MX and on River Road in particular. And I just want to make sure people are aware, Don Leslie, who's running for my seat, has been supported by Claire Surrett. In fact, Claire Surrett gave her Don Leslie's campaign money, and Don Leslie gave Claire Surrett money. And Don's stance on moving ahead is basically the same as Claire Surrett's. So as all you folks that supported the recall of Claire Surrett and are mad about MX, just kind of remember that there's kind of this thing that Don and Claire, they're pretty close. In fact, there's a photo on Don's website with them together. So just want to make sure people are aware of that. When it comes to MX, Don equals Claire. And speaking of street design, I'm going to jump into one of Robin's favorite topics, Main Street Roundabouts in Springfield. Yay! <laughs> um, there's a group, actually, that's, you know, that, now Springfield got wise after that blew up, and, and unlike the city of Eugene that, that keeps pushing ahead with MX or whatever they, you know, and doing things to try and make it harder to drive an automobile, um, Springfield actually listened and pulled back their 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 proposal to do the roundabouts and are, are now going to restart the process. But now there's a group that's organized or organizing, I should say, around a sensible solution to the Main Street um, safety issues, et cetera. And um, they are actually having a meeting on Monday night or a kind of a fundraiser kickoff meeting at um, Along King Trudy's. Um, and it's going to be on Monday, September 19th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Along Came Trudy's, and it's being put together by Common Sense for Springfield, and it's a kickstart to their Protect Main Street campaign. So um, you need to RSVP to this, and I will tell you all you have to do is go to 
you know, www.protectmainstreetalloneword.org. And that'll get you there. And if you go to the slash RSDP, if you want to come to Trudy's and be part of that effort to have a common sense approach to redesigning Main Street, along came Trudy's, 6 o'clock, Monday evening, the 19th. It's www.protectmainstreet.org slash RSVP. So, um, that's how you RSVP. Um, I'll try and maybe put something up in the comments afterwards about that um, on, on a couple of the postings that promote the show. Um, if you're a Springfield resident and, and you don't want to see your favorite business, uh, you know, get wiped out by a roundabout, I think there was a a coffee kiosk that was going to get wiped out. I think it was basically going to take almost all the parking on away from a couple businesses along Main Street. Um, you might want to think about um, RSVPing and coming up, coming up Trudy's and getting part or part of this organization that's going to kind of make sure that the uh, the city council and the mayor and everybody stays on the straight and narrow when it comes to um, <laughs> what they should be doing with Main Street. Straight is the functional word, not roundabout. <laughs> Roundabouts work rural settings much better at, at preventing T-bones and rear-end accidents from left-turn movements, et cetera. Not so great urban settings with pedestrian and bicycle traffic mixed in, truck traffic going to industrial areas. In this case, it's just – it's not necessarily the best use of a roundabout. So I just want to make sure people are aware of that. But I, I, I want to get back to some of the discussion about transient room tax or lot, transient lodging taxes, it's also called, um, and uh, baseball stadium. Because we had our first reading of the ordinance that would enable us to start collecting an additional 2% uh, TLT, TRT, whatever you want to call it, here in Lane County. Um, one of the things is, is this is just the enabling for collect, starting the collection in January. And one of the reasons why it's kind of coming now is um, we also are switching from the city of Eugene's uh, used to collect our transient room tax. They're no longer going to do that. They're going to contract with the Oregon Department of Revenue, which is forcing us to do the same thing. We have to let the Oregon Department of Revenue know so they know what rate to collect in January if we're going to make this change. Otherwise, we kind of have to hold fire for a whole other year. Um, there's lots of good reasons to increase that tax. Um, we need to have some investments made in some of our tourism facilities in this county and even out uh, you know, locally here in, in Eugene Springfield, but even out in the county, there's some investments we could make. Currently, we really don't have a lot of excess transit room tax. It's either current, you know, by statute being directed to uh, for tourism marketing, which we contract with the Travel Lane County folks, you know, um, and they they 
do a great job of promoting Lane County nationally and internationally for travel and even in-state. And their, you know, their websites um, are a great resource. Even if you're a longtime Lane County resident and you're looking for something to do that's a day's drive, go to that, you know, Eugene Cascade Coast website, um, and uh, there's a ton of things to do from the the wine trail the, uh, uh, and um, to, you know, what you can do on the coast to what you can do up in the Cascades and everything in between. They've got all, you know, all sorts of great things you can do here in Lane County on that site. Uh, it's a great, if you have people coming in from out of town and you're looking for things to, to entertain them with, it's also a great reference. So that's where a good big chunk of transit of the county's transit room tax goes now. Another big chunk of it is going to the Lane Event Center uh, to keep their uh, facilities up to speed and keep that going because that generates a, a you know a good amount of economic activity as well as people coming to Lane County um, to be exhibitors or to be um, sell stuff at various shows. Uh, there's there's a fair amount of traffic there, which is one of the reasons why there was an interest in this outdoor multi-use facility that would also be used as a baseball stadium for the Eugene Emeralds because the Lane County fairgrounds are booked almost all winter for indoor events. The problem is, is we don't have a lot of summertime bookings and this outdoor stadium would offer us the ability to have a lot of summer activity at the fairgrounds to kind of balance, you know, to, to take away the lull. Very, almost the opposite problem that our local hotels have, which they were uh, testifying to this yet um, yesterday at our board meeting, is their lull is in the middle of the winter. And they get a lot of bookings in the summertime when the weather's nice here in Oregon. And then they have to lay off staff in the wintertime and try and rehire them the next summer. Uh, and that cycle's bad. So the wintertime lull is bad for the hotels. The summertime lull is bad for the Lane Events Center. So, but the Lane Events Center draws wintertime economic activity and room stays so if we do something in summer, it helps keep that wintertime stuff, which is some of the justifications around the stadium. But the stadium is such an expensive project that it could take up most of that additional 2% and what we currently give to the Lane Events Center now. So I am I asked a bunch of questions yesterday and asked for some feedback about you know, opportunity costs. One of the things, though, is this 2% increase is independent of whether we go or no go on the stadium. If we, you know, choose to start having visitors to Lane County, which sometimes myself, I know when I stay at, um, you know, Darlene's Resort down there in Dune City, they charge room tax on top of the, the fee for that RV site. Campgrounds charge transient lodging tax. So we, uh, I paid it. I paid it there. I paid it up at Casey's up in, in 
Westfer, I painted Hesita Beach RV Park in Hesita Beach. So um, even locals pay transit room tax sometimes. But for the most part, it's a tax on non-residents. So it doesn't really, and rarely is part of somebody's decision whether something's too expensive or not. And what we've done is looked at the market and another 2% of county tax is still within our surrounding states and the national average for transient room taxes. I mean, how many times have you gone to stay at a hotel and you booked it for, you know, $69 a night, and when you get the bill, it's about $75 a night. You know, it, that's the room tax that gets added. But you booked it because of the 69, not because what you, you know, and you didn't go comparing to see if the next town over had a cheaper room tax for the same cost of hotel room. Um, so it doesn't become part of that buying decision too often. But this 2% increase could be used for anything. And I asked to get some economic data on two specific projects I'm aware of that are alternatives that may get pushed off further into the future because we choose to go with the stadium first. And that would be the indoor sports facility that everyone's been talking about that would include an indoor track, uh, the ability, and if it was a hydraulic track, the ability to drop it down flat and then use that flat space as multiple volleyball courts for tournaments, multiple basketball courts for tournaments, or a plethora of pickleball courts because they fit even smaller. I forget what the numbers are that, that fit into the footprint of this, the indoor track building. Um, but I think it's like four basketball courts, eight volleyball courts, and about 20-some pickleball courts. Um, so, you know, it, and, you know, people are probably pretty aware there really is very little indoor practice space for some of these indoor sports in the wintertime. But having that ability to host tournaments in the wintertime is one of the things that the lodging industry is really interested in and to hold indoor track meets with, you know, and one of the things about the, the, the idea of this indoor facility was it also would include the ability to seat somewhere between two to 4,000 people for these events. So they would draw people in just like the summertime track events, maybe not as many, but in a critical time period for the hotel industry um, that's, you know, I kind of want to see, there's been some preliminary economic studies on that. I want to understand more about that as a possible choice. Excuse me. Um, and then I also want to understand more about expanding our, our existing convention facility. The facility we have down there at the graduate that's owned by the city of Eugene that the graduate manages <clears throat> under contract with the city is a little too small for our market and who we compete with. There needs to be an addition of a larger grand ballroom. The, the, the largest, and, it, it, and sitting like this, 10 at a table, you can get in the big ballroom at, at the graduate is 600. To be competitive in the marketplace for conventions, we need a, a big 
flat ballroom space that's in one room that can seat a thousand comfortably. Twelve hundred if you do this, you know. But that's what's needed really is to and there needs to be some more breakout rooms and a few other things to be competitive, better kitchen facilities. There is the possibility of sky bridging over to a piece of county property and having that occur as part of an expansion of our parking garage that serves the county. Um, so that's another possibility. And generally, those conventions are year-round, so they add to that, that whole bringing room tax. The whole thing about transit room tax is it's supposed to be spent on bringing more tourism to Lane County or more either tourism or, or people that are going to stay in lodging, which means convention, people that attend conventions are part of that. So um, I've asked for some information about that. Um, but then again, I know those opportunities are out there. So increasing the tax by 2%, whether we choose to do a a baseball stadium with the M's or whether we choose to do an indoor track facility, none of those opportunities are in front of us if we don't do this 2% increase. So, and doing the 2% increase does not say absolutely we're building a stadium. They're two separate decisions. But we don't even have the opportunity to look at stadium if we don't do the 2% increase. And we don't have the opportunity really to look at indoor track facility or the expansion of the convention center without some kind of revenue source to draw from. Because Lane County, as I've explained in previous Bo's Nose shows, is staring at a cliff when it comes to finances. Got four funds that are borrowing from reserves right now to stay balanced. So it's not like we can come up with the money from nowhere to, to support an industry that has become critical to Lane County because we shut down our damn timber industry. Oh, we're back to timber again. Hmm, imagine that. Jay gets back to timber. <laughs> now I'm angry all over again. And that's, that's part of what's so sad, is the fact that we don't have these high-paying family-wage timber jobs you know, that should be multiplying in our community and, you know, supporting the ability for somebody to work a service job in the tourism. You know, a couple can have one person in the timber industry and one person working in the service industry and be just fine, probably really well off, and be able to afford the housing in Lane County. But I'm telling you, two people in the service industry can't afford housing in this county. particularly in the areas that really need it, like Florence, where you're competing with the vacation rentals and the retirees and everybody else coming up from California that are buying up real estate and there's such a shortage. Of course, we're not going to be building much more housing if we don't deal with the timber wood products front-end shortage of raw materials. Because we're letting it all burn in our forests, U.S. Forest Service. Because we let one tree, one single tree, turn into the Cedar Creek fire. 
threaten the community, cause evacuations, cause power outages, cause ash falls all over the county, cause bad air quality. Uh, Robin, 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 Robin. Yeah. She's like, we have sidewalks. Why do we need housing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, no, no. We need housing. Because if the housing were more affordable, we wouldn't have some of our workforce problems in this county either. Do you know how hard it is for Peace Health to recruit doctors? either at Peace Harbor or Peace Health in in Springfield because the doctors get here and can't find a house to buy with a doctor's salary that's reasonable. Hopefully that might be changing somewhat. You know, uh, it might be getting even worse. I don't know because, you know, uh, federal monetary policy has gone out the window and they've printed so much money and are spending money like drunken sailors, which is an insult to drunken sailors on Capitol Hill and the White House, which is driving inflation. Oh, by the way, did anyone see the celebration at the White House yesterday? They passed the Inflation Protection Act. They were celebrating yesterday on the same day that the inflation numbers came out that surprised Wall Street because they kept going up instead of staying flat or going down as expected. And we're still over 8% inflation. And Wall Street basically took a dump yesterday of over 1,200 points on the Dow. 4% on the Dow Jones. 5% on the NASDAQ. But they were having a celebration with James Taylor singing and Nancy Pelosi having to tell people to applaud after she said something in her speech that was supposed to be an applause line. But, you know, hey, they uh, almost, it, it reminds me of Gerald Ford, whip inflation now, you know, all we have to do is talk about it and celebrate it and maybe it'll go away. No, we have to do something about it. Stop spending. Because they sure are messing me up, I'll tell you that much. It's a lot harder to sell a house these days with the interest rates up over 5% when, versus when they're down below 3 <sighs> So the market is slowing a little bit. Still hasn't, you know, moderated prices a whole lot. And now... You know, your monthly payments have been jacked up because the interest rates are, are going up. Need to build more housing here, which means we need which means we need raw wood product from federal forest lands and private forest lands. And not letting them get burned up because we let one tree turn into the Cedar Creek fire. Call Ron Wyden, call Jeff Merkley, call Peter DeFazio's office. Find somebody in the U.S. Forest Service. I believe that their chief of the U.S. Forest Service is named Moore, just like 
Patrick Moore that's going to be on the show next week. Same last name. That's same people. Maybe we need to find his email address and get people to start emailing him. They have to change their firefighting methods and policies. No excuse for the Cedar Creek Fire. Absolutely no excuse. There is no excuse for the Santiam Canyon fires. There was no excuse for the Chetco Bar fire several years ago. You guys remember that one that almost burned up Gold Beach on the coast? That was another fire that started in the wilderness that they let smolder and burn for all summer long until it blew up and almost blew to the coast. Threatening Curry County down there. Not paying attention to the fact that the wilderness, you know, is a misshapen amoeba down there, the county office wilderness, and and has private lands nearby, but they let that one blow up. Didn't learn from that. That was 2017. Beachy Creek and Lion's Head was 2020. Here we are in 2022, and they did it over again with the Cedar Creek fire. And there's countless others in between. And going back further than 2017, where the Forest Service lets them smolder, puts a wide fence around them, and then it overruns their fence. Surprise! Aggressive initial attack, like the Oregon Department of Forestry uses on private land. Single-engine air tankers, helicopters, bulldozers. Wow, what a concept. We've known how to fight fire, and they're a hell of a lot easier to put out when they're small. And usually earlier in the summer when the fuels are lower, there's always going to be some large fires on the landscape. There will be fire starts in the wrong weather at the wrong time of year. Holiday Farm Fire last year is a, I mean, two years ago is a perfect example. But we have to change policy. Well, I'm done being angry. We'll be back next week. Don't forget we're having a special guest, Dr. Patrick Moore, co-founder of Greenpeace, on the Bose Nose Show here next week. We'll be taking calls, too. So coming to you live at 4 o'clock next week. Hope you had a great week, and we'll see you then.